Welcome to the Inside EcoDevo podcast. I'm your host, Eric Thurman. On this episode, we're catching up with the department's Office of Broadband Development, and we have a couple of guests in the studio with us to lay out everything that's going on. We'll just kind of round robin it first. And uh, to my left, I'll let you introduce yourself. Yeah, I'm BJ Tanksley, the director of the Office of Broadband. And I'm Adam Thorpe. I work for the Office of Broadband on broadband infrastructure deployment mapping. He's largely one of our uh, uh, our experts when it comes to where broadband is, where it isn't, and then what are we doing with this upcoming funding available? Well, it's great to have you both here. I'm sure there's a lot to get into because it's been a minute since we've talked to broadband. And I know previously, back way back on episode four, there was a lot of gearing up for historical funding coming yeah. through. So let's just kick off there. Just a quick recap of what happened since then, we'll get into what's currently going on right now, but just yeah. a recap of the work that's kind of led us up to where we're at today. A lot has gone on. It was surprising. You said it's been about a year since we last talked. You know, we had the American Rescue Plan Act funds that were focused on broadband. The office was appropriated about $265 million. Seems like about two years ago now. But we were able to award last January, January of 2023, we announced the awards of $261 million in broadband grants across the whole state. It was um, extremely exciting. We were thrilled with what we were able to do with those. Those were American Rescue Act plan funds. And those projects are going on now. We were able to fund, I think it was 60 projects, about 30 different providers working across the state and truly improving the connectivity for 54,000 locations. So a lot of work going on. Um, it was really exciting. You know, last time we spoke, we already probably talked about there were some existing federal awards the state was facilitating. So our team is very busy doing reimbursements right now. The projects are happening. They're happening everywhere. We actually, we're recording this in kind of mid to late October. We've got two or three projects that are about to be completed. The communities of Warsaw and one in kind of in north central, northeast Missouri, those projects are about to be done. So that's super exciting. There's some of those that are kind of in differing places across the broadband spectrum. But those ARPA awards are physically active out there, moving forward very quickly. With ARPA funds, we also have a cell tower program to the tone of about $20 million. Um, by the time people hear this, we will have announced the first rounds of awards for that cell tower program. And I think they're going to see nearly 30 new towers being deployed with those funds and likely to see a second round of that funding made available to probably do somewhere in the neighborhood of, you know, 15 to 20 more towers. So that's super exciting. The impact that will have in increasing cellular service in places that don't have it. We talk a lot about broadband, but we realize that program is going to increase a base level of connectivity that everyone just assumes should be available. And we're going to really help that in a lot of places. Those 30 towers, when you look at where those are going to be deployed, are truly in you know, rural areas, hard to reach areas. And we're thrilled with the applicants and the providers who are willing to take part in that. So super excited about where that is too. So that's what we've done with ARPA funding. And then we've been spending a lot of time preparing for kind of this next phase which is Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act funded, but we call it our Connecting All Missourians campaign because that's the goal of what we see coming truly right around the corner uh, as we look forward to 2024. Adam, on your side, I know you do a lot of stuff with the mapping efforts and infrastructure and all that. So BJ was just giving us the high level view from your kind of point of view inside the team, what was going on this past year for you. This upcoming IIJA funding, that's the Broadband Equity Access and Deployment Program. We sort of kicked off this year, ended last year, participating in the FCC 
map challenge process. So the Federal Communication Commission collects information from broadband providers about the service that's available to each home and business in the country. That map is uh, imperfect, and it was used to decide how much funding each state got through the BEAD program. So we really encourage Missourians to take a look at that map and help us point out locations where there were mistakes, where there were errors. We really appreciate everybody who participated in that process. It was a um, very chaotic few weeks for us in our office. Yes, Um, it was. But it was also a huge success, right? It really did help us in the end. Absolutely. So Missouri ended up with the third highest allocation based on that number of unserved locations in the state, of any state in the uh, country, $1.7 billion to reach, all goes according to plan, every remaining unserved and underserved location. And that's why we talk about connecting all Missourians. The goal is every remaining dot on the map that doesn't have service, we're going to try to find a project that works for that location. That number you just threw out there, is that directly tied to the improvements that were done on the map You know, from everyone across from the state? Yeah, absolutely. So the more locations that we added to the map, each one of those ends up being worth a pretty significant amount of money. Thousands of dollars. Absolutely. And I think when the map was first published, it showed at that point that Missouri had a very serious need, but people's efforts helped us to establish even more need, which in turn helped us get that level of funding. Yeah. And then also in preparing for this funding effort, We partnered with the University of Missouri and the Regional Planning Commissions, and Adam can talk a little bit about the public engagement that we did to prepare for this. We were able to actually spend a lot of time with citizens hearing their needs. Absolutely. We did two rounds of travel across the state in each of the state's regional planning commissions. So they're, you know, divided up, really gave us a sense of the diversity of challenges facing different communities across the state but also some real through lines, a real sense that people people understand the value that improved connectivity could bring, and a sense of the frustration that people have had seeing other parts of the country, the parts of the state, get better and better connections while they were sort of trailing behind. It's going to help us guide how we spend this bead funding, and I think it really helped motivate our office. I don't think there was any confusion on our end about how important this could be, but we really got a chance to experience the people who are going to be affected by it and that I think that was very helpful for us. Yeah, I think I think motivated is a good word for it because it wasn't surprising to hear that people in rural Missouri or people in urban Missouri, urban areas may have trouble connecting to the internet. But what was really encouraging was to hear that these people aren't sitting and waiting for it. These people are trying everything they can. They're trying different technologies. They're con- they're contacting providers. They're asking people to come to them. Specifically in Sedalia, Missouri, we heard from an individual who had tried four or five different things to try to connect because they loved where they lived, but they weren't able to do the work that they needed to do. I think this person was either involved in agriculture or some other way, but they also worked remotely. And so they needed to be able to do both things. And so that was very encouraging to hear. People without connectivity aren't just sitting and waiting for it. And we also had that with our partnership with the university. They did some surveys of the state as well as some focus groups. And we saw that same thing there. People that don't have this aren't just sitting and waiting for it. They're trying everything they can to get connected. And it's not just for entertainment. Also, what was, you know, really elevated from that is people see the value in it beyond Facebook and Netflix, but also in work from home and educate from home and telehealth. We, we talk about it a lot from kind of the high level, but to see that the citizens widespread truly believe is that's what they want to be able to do. It was encouraging, I think, uh, you know, and motivating, Adam said, was probably the best word for it. In this day and age, I mean, you almost have to have it now. You pay bills that way. You connect 
to work, to school, to everything all runs through the internet. If that goes down or if you don't have it, you're left in the dark ages, essentially. <laughs> yeah, we all pause really quickly, right? Those of us who've been in the broadband conversation for the past 10 plus years have been saying this for a long time, but truly the pandemic really shined a light on it. You know, when we were all told, hey, do everything you can from home, those that were able to were able to maintain some sort of normalcy. And those that didn't have that level of connectivity really were interrupted. And you can see that in education levels, but you also see that in challenges with healthcare and other things. And so hopefully we never have to face that again. But what we did see is this is real and can really improve life across the state. There's still work going on. Yeah. A lot of work happened in the, the last year. Where do you feel the state of Missouri is today in terms of expanding broadband coverage across the state? You had quoted some stats, 60 projects, 30 providers, 54,000 locations. Where are we at right now? Yeah. So the good news is there's a lot of work going on. The bad news is there's still a lot of work to do. Adam, you, did you bring the, you probably have the statistics. He, he's, he knows the stats off the top of his head better than I do but can talk a little bit about the kind of the remaining need. By our definitions, the definitions we'll be using for these upcoming programs, we talk about unserved and underserved locations, unserved, very low levels of service, underserved, slightly better levels of service, probably not keeping up with where people need to be today. The most recent version of the Federal Communications Commission map, there were more than 450,000 locations that we would call unserved or underserved in Missouri. It's roughly one in five location of the locations on that map. The good news is in a lot of those locations, a provider has already agreed to extend service in the next few years. Since that map was last updated, some of those locations will have received service through our ARPA programs or through one of the other funded programs. Once you take into account places where there are commitments to get improved service, we end up with 220,000 locations, unserved or underserved, that we'll be trying to get projects for with this next round of funding. Yeah, I think... I think it's really interesting, you know, one-fifth of all Missouri locations are, quote, without quality service. They're either unserved or underserved. But what you pointed out there is really important, is we have that ARPA program who's actively doing deployments, and there's also federal programs, whether those be through the FCC or USDA, that also fund programs. And so, like he said, out of the 450 lacking service, there's 230,000 of those have already been funded. That's an exciting thing. They have their own timeframes, some within the next three or four years, some within the next five years-ish, depending on when exactly they were awarded. But there's a lot of work already going on out there. What we hope to do with the BEAD funding, the Broadband Equity Access and Deployment Funding, is to finish this job. Let's get to the last 220,000 locations, get them service. It won't happen overnight, but then when you, you can see a world where all of these projects come together and you literally have connected everybody. When you're mentioning unserved and underserved, how is that threshold determined? Like what is considered served? And like, how do you determine that upload number and the yeah. download number? Speed has always been the conversation around broadband and there's been a big debate over it. The, you know, luckily over the last few years, we've seen an increase in what's expected. At this point, people without access to 25 by three service 25 download, three upload are considered completely unserved. And people that have access to 25.3 but, but don't have access 
to 100 by 20 service are considered underserved. And so they're kind of in that middle frame. We can help bring service to either one of those locations. So that's that's really fitting. And what this program guarantees to bring is 100 by 20 service to every location, at least 100 by 20. And in most cases, it will be 100 by 100, which typically means service that can fulfill any household or business's needs for, quite frankly, the foreseeable future. What's really interesting about that is less than five years ago, we were begging for people to consider 25 by 3 served. And now we're talking about 100 by 20 being the base level of service to be considered served. That's how fast this technology, but also our utilization of it is is changing. It's an ever-changing world, but we hope to make investments that fill that need for, for a long time to come. Is that speed, not just of the download and upload speed, but the speed in which technology is evolving and changing, is that a hindrance? Because like you mentioned just a few years ago, you guys are talking about like, can we please get 25 yeah. down and three up? And now we're talking 100. So like a couple of years from now, are we in the same boat again? Or is the infrastructure that's being laid in of that, that it can be scalable? For the most part, yes. At least what we understand of the technologies today. Fiber technology using glass, uh, we don't often really lay it out there, but these are glass fibers carrying data and light across them, is generally considered the gold standard of broadband and can handle the data capacity that we will need for a long time. And that's why you see it being prioritized in our ARPA program, where all of those projects were fiber projects, and in the upcoming program where we're going to, for the vast majority of projects, fund fiber projects because they truly can handle the capacity uh, for years to come. Now, we're sitting here today in 2023 and, you know, 10 years, 15, 20 years from now, who knows what the next great thing could be. But for today, the gold standard is typically fiber, and that is, for the vast majority of projects, what we're able to fund. In context to that, Adam, what do, you, what, do you, what do you think when it comes to that as far as the prioritization and stuff goes? You know, there may be cases where... In sort of extreme situations geographically, there may be cases where a fiber project is very, very expensive. People can look at our ARPA program, and like BJ said, those were all fiber projects, and some of those were quite expensive. But we weighed the value, and we thought it was worth it to get those people that level of service. There may be some cases where we end up funding non-fiber projects subject to some uh, standards around the technology available in cases where fiber would just be extremely expensive. And that's just to make sure that we can get service to everybody, right? You know, there might be there might come a point where if we're mm-hmm. spending money on the, the the very most expensive location in the state, there are twenty other locations somewhere else that don't get any sort of service at all. And you need to make some difficult decisions in that situation. But it will be for all the reasons BJ said, the program strongly prioritizes fiber deployments. And it's worth pointing out that we're talking about fixed wireless technologies also. And in those expensive to reach with fiber technology, uh, fixed wireless is a viable option. And there have been great advancements in what those technologies can do as well. And so if we're able to facilitate that level of service into a place today, I also believe that will allow that technology to scale up when the time comes. 
as new technologies. We never thought that they would be able to handle the workload that they can today or some of the terrain uh, challenges that they can handle today. But if we can help get them there, when the new technology comes along, they'll be able to upgrade to that as well. And so I do think there is real promise on both sides of this conversation. Like I said, fiber is considered the gold standard, but if we're getting great service at above 100 by 20 to someplace, that's also going to facilitate it to upgrade as the, as changes come with the technology available. But Adam's right. There are places in the extreme high cost areas or extreme high cost locations uh, where we will utilize different technologies as well. Let's switch gears a little bit and kind of talk about what's currently happening with inside the office. I know you had mentioned a couple of programs that are still going on, infrastructure grant programs, cell tower grant programs. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the application cycles are closed, funds are you know wrapping up, going out. Where are we at with these two programs? So if we're thinking this, yeah, people will be listening to this late October, early November. The cell tower first round will be awarded. There is likely to be a second round available for that. So it's very likely that by the time people are listening to this, we are still in the application window for round two for that cell tower program. So very excited about the ability to expend all $20 million that were appropriated to us and hoping to do that in that second round. So that is supposed to be open through late November, hoping to be able to award by late December 1st of the new year, the last of the cell tower program. Otherwise, um, we are really, as people will be listening to this, people will be in the middle of their uh, opportunity to weigh in on both our BEAD program plans as well as our Digital Equity Act plans. And, And so that's really what, as people hear this today, that's what we need from them is to go to the website, ded.mo.gov slash get connected or slash connecting all Missourians. I think either work. And you can go there and see both the initial proposal, volume one, initial proposal, volume two, and digital equity plan and weigh in on those. And Adam can talk a little bit about what's in each of those and why it's so important that the public weigh in. So we talked about this sort of this historic $1.7 billion dollar investment in broadband infrastructure. There's also significant money in the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act to help people overcome non-infrastructure barriers to getting online. Things like lack of digital skills, inability to afford the sort of tools you need to get online. Those elements of our plans for the state will be laid out in our digital equity plan. We'd appreciate comments on that, thoughts about how we can improve our approach there. Within the infrastructure investments, BEAD Initial Proposal Volume 1 covers what's called the state challenge process and sort of broadly covers the steps that we're going to take to determine what locations are eligible for funding through the BEAD program. So we said, you know, there there are errors with this mapping and we want to make sure that people have a chance to catch those errors, make sure that people don't miss out on funding, make sure that the funding in general gets to where it needs to go, gets to the people who really need service. So we'll lay out our plan for that in initial proposal volume one, it's a complicated uh, subject matter. So we'd appreciate people's thoughts about how that plan can be improved. Are there particular kinds of comments that you guys are, are wanting? Are there specific areas that you guys are trying to focus on that you know that there are gaps in? We would be interested to know from people what we missed, what we didn't consider. You know, we come from a particular perspective. We talk to people across the state, all sorts of different constituencies, but there may be elements of the plan that impose, you know, there could be things that are challenging in ways we don't understand about what we're asking people to do through the course of the state challenge process. There could also be good ideas that we are totally open to, but 
just didn't occur to us. We lay out the standards that we ask people to meet when they are challenging and saying that a uh, location was not correctly classified on our maps. We'd love to know if those standards make sense, if there are cases where they would introduce new mistakes. Also, people should feel free to say that we did a great job. I also appreciate positive comments, but we do want to get this into shape because it's very consequential for the state, very consequential for the for citizens that could will have the opportunity to get improved internet connectivity. So it's very valuable to to get uh, to get people's comments. Yeah, you know, a it, lot of sorry to, to cut oh, you off fine. there, BJ, but positive comments always very welcome. <laughs> I know a lot of people like to yell at state government, uh, but yeah, we love it when we, we we get told that we're doing a good job. A quick follow up question for you there, uh, Adam, I'm sure through this process and even now you guys are getting feedback. What is the type of feedback that you guys have been getting through either mapping or the current efforts that you were just talking about? As we discussed on this tour, very strong sense of the importance of this program, lots of feedback about ways we could design it better. We want to make sure that this money goes into putting infrastructure in the ground, above the ground, whatever works to get service to people. We hear people's feedback that we want to avoid elements of the program that don't involve putting fiber in the ground, you know, so we want to make sure service in general. Yeah. Yeah. Fiber in the ground service, putting up new towers. That's where we'd like this money to go. We want to make that the focus of, of the program, which means where we can getting flexibility, where there are elements of the, the guidance we're receiving from the federal government that impose costs on these programs that don't represent value for the, you know, the, are the stakeholders who are working on these projects. We want to look for flexibility where we can. So I think that's yeah. definitely an area where we receive feedback. Ultimately, these plans do need to be submitted and approved by our federal partners. They are also very concerned about making sure that everything works here, making sure that we're using this money responsibly. But I think that's one area of feedback that we've received. We hear that quite a bit, is we want to make sure we're being as efficient with these funds as possible, and we want to make sure that we carry this forward. Getting back to Adam was talking about, we can get very into the technical terminology for it. Volume one is how we will challenge the map. Adam started talking about what we were doing last year by challenging the FCC map. Missouri will have its own map early in 2024, and we will open a window for how to weigh in on it, similarly to how we did against the FCC map, to decide where we can for the last time, to decide where we can and cannot spend these funds. What this volume one has their opportunity to do when they weigh in. This isn't the opportunity to weigh in on the map. This is the ability to say how we weigh in on the map. This is basically setting the rules for then what we will govern when we do that challenge process. So it is important. It's almost as important as when we will be back together begging people to weigh in on the map itself. But this is also important on volume one. We also have volume two that will be available and that is more of how we will award the funds. And so by the time people are able to listen to this, they'll be able to see that as well. That is generally like our principles of how we will award these funds all the way down to how will we score applications and decide who's awarded where. We very much welcome the public's comments on that as well as the providers to take comment on it. We are only as successful as we have people willing to pick, take part in our programs, and we know that. And so we'll want people to weigh in on both of those things, the challenge process in volume one and then in volume two, how we will award. And that's where I also think we probably could use the public's comments on what's important to them as, as they see kind of our plans. I think they'll really like it. I hope they do. We've been working uh, towards that very hard. But we also understand that sometimes – 
when you're digging into the details, sometimes you step back and we want to see other people's perspective on it too. Before we go final, Adam could talk a little bit about the timeline. We're going to take public comment and then submit to NTIA. So you could talk a little bit about kind of what comes next as we look forward to kind of December and then January for our team. By the end of December, we will be submitting these plans to NTIA. So that's the federal agency that releases bead funds. We'll hopefully get a sign-off on those plans relatively quickly, and then we can begin our process, begin the state challenge process over the first few months of 2024, and then move relatively quickly. Once we've completed the state challenge process and defined the set of locations where we can put broadband funding, we'll begin accepting applications from providers telling us where they're willing to go to put in improved service. Start scoring those applications, working very hard on our end to make sure that we get applications for every remaining location in the state. And in theory, we're working on that over the course of 2024, awarding those funds in relatively short order. The goal would be to have a project for every location in the state. Is a hindrance to that, I'm just kind of picking up on something you you were saying there, is where providers are willing to go. Are you seeing issues or potential issues where providers are like, that's just way too far out there. That's going to infrastructure wise, that's just too costly. We're not running lines there or whatnot. Like what happens in those scenarios? I think it's certainly a challenge. I would say sort of to the credit of providers in Missouri, I think there there are many cases where people have pushed themselves, where people feel a real obligation to provide service to all their potential customers and have certainly we we received and funded projects through ARPA that represented attempts to serve very difficult areas, very spread out, just uh, just quite challenging to put in those networks. That said, there, there is a reality that uh, p- providers need to receive at least enough money from these networks to, to keep the networks working long term, uh, to invest in, and maintain those systems. And so there are extreme cases that are pretty challenging along those lines. And part of what we're looking at is how can we put together a package that makes those locations attractive. You know, in past grant programs, like the ARPA program, we knew we couldn't get to everybody. We received many multiples of the amount of money we were able to put out the door in terms of requests. So we were looking at the best projects among the ones that we received and giving them funding. The goal for BEAD is different. We're trying to get to every location. So we're not in a position of saying, these are the 10 best projects, we're in a position of saying, you know, this is the best project for this area. And for those last homes on a gravel road in a very rural area, a long line that needs to be run to, to reach that home, that can be challenging. But I think there are solutions that work. And we do have resources to do that in a real way that haven't been available before. That's it's a really good point. It, there, there's just a, a little bit of a difference in the philosophy. Uh, we've, we've said it a little bit is in the past, we've had to do as much good as we could do with the funds available. So it's just a little bit different philosophy when you truly think there's a slight uncertainty, but for the most part, we have the goal of let's get it to everyone. It's just slightly different. It's it, We always wanted to get service to everybody, but when you knew, hey, I've got $5 million or $10 million or even 250 that wasn't going to get service to everybody. We did a study two years ago that said it would cost about $2 billion to bring service to everybody. So we always knew, hey, let's get as much done as we can. This is just a slightly different take on it when you say, hey, we've got to get it to everyone. There will be tough places. Missouri is, and Adam did a good job of talking about it, and I don't want to just rehash it, but we are somewhat lucky that across the state of Missouri, we have 
what we call traditional providers, the people you see advertising on television that have gone into some of these tough areas, that have taken federal awards in tough areas and are, and are fulfilling those deployments. We also have what are a lot of times called non-traditional providers, rural telephone companies, rural electric cooperatives, rural independent companies that are going beyond just the populated areas, and, and not to say that the others aren't. But both of these in combined have started really working outside of what are generally, you know, the higher, more pop, uh, more profitable areas. And so hopefully what we're able to do with these funds is support deployments into places that it otherwise couldn't go uh, with private funding and then make sure that we're able to do that. But there will still be tough places, which is why it's interesting that BEAD allows us to do a couple of things that we haven't done in the past. And Adam can talk about what we're tasked to do in some of those toughest areas as far as actually going kind of boots on the ground. Our plan would be to conduct several grand rounds, receive applications, score them, get those projects underway. At the end of that process, there may be locations where we didn't get any application we could fund. Those will likely be quite difficult areas to serve. There will be a reason they were not attractive. So there may be a process of us going around, going to those communities, talking to providers around those communities, talking to leaders within those communities to figure out what is the project that works? What is the package that we can put together to get those last locations served? It's kind of a nice part of the process. Part of the goal of getting to 100% means that you whittle down to the point where you can provide real personalized attention on the locations that remain and figure out the projects that works there. Some of these locations would not fit into sort of a cookie cutter project that we would be able to score in a um, understandable way through our, uh, through a traditional um, grant scoring process. Yeah. I think we've always providers submit to us where they want to go. We award those projects that use them, you know, least amount of funds to reach the most amount of people. But like Adam said, if there's places remaining, we actually have the ability with this program to kind of go to that next level of kind of boots on the ground, visiting with locals and with providers of what does it take to get this area served and then be able to use remaining funds to reach those last places. It's just kind of a little different philosophy, but it is exciting. Hopefully we don't have to get there. Hopefully through the grant process, we're able to award all of these. And to be honest with you, working with the regional planning commissions, some of the long-term planning they've done and some of the local leaders that have been working on broadband for their areas, they're kind of already taking those steps across the state. We've got people that are very actively talking about these are the troubling areas of my region, or this is the troubling area of my county. And they're already talking to providers about applying for these funds. And so some of this work is already happening. This would be the last places where maybe it hasn't happened yet. And then we can go be a part of that conversation and really incentivize getting it to those last places. Pulling it back to the program side of it, and you guys will correct me here if I'm wrong, but alongside the in-house programs, There's also the Affordable Connectivity Program that I believe is a federal program. What hand do we have in in this program, if any? Affordable Connectivity Program is a program funded by the Federal Communications Commission. It provides financial support for eligible households, relatively low-income households, participants in some specific federal benefits programs, provides a, a subsidy on the cost of getting online for those households. We don't run that program, but we've taken a lot of initiative particularly J.R. Farthing on our team, done a lot of work to uh, promote that program, get people signed up for it. A relatively small portion of people who are eligible for that program in the state actually participate. The program is very helpful, both in terms of getting broadband to people who otherwise couldn't afford it. It also helps us with broadband deployment because it means that some locations where an individual wouldn't be able to subscribe and provide some return on that investment 
there'll be, uh, you know, with that subsidy, they'll be able to subscribe. There'll be more funding coming in to support that new network. So it has an importance both in terms of getting um, people who have access in theory, but can't afford it online, and in terms of building new networks in places that don't have access. Yeah, we often say, you know, deployment doesn't matter if no one's signing up, right? The ultimate goal isn't to just have access, but to, as we say all the time, allow Missourians to prosper. And that is actually getting them connected and taking part in this digital world and the digital economy. You'll see it in the digital equity plan. I think JR and the team that worked on that did a really good job of laying out that this is about having two-way work on the internet from all Missourians, not just as consumers, but also as producers, being a part of that world, whether they're working from home or educating or or doing things to improve their place in life and actually taking this to the next step. But that takes the actual adoption side as well. Just having a a connection that has high speed, if, if all we're doing is not taking that connection, then we're really not achieving the ultimate goals of the Office of Broadband. We need people actually connecting. But then again, so do the providers that are providing the connection. A deployment without any customers doesn't last very long. Switching gears a little bit here, what has been the most rewarding thing for both of you through this whole process working on broadband, either personally or professionally? I don't want to steer your guys' answer, but something that comes to my mind is back in early June when I believe the whole broadband team comms team. We were on that little farm. Uh, Sheraton Valley was putting uh, fiber down the road. Very hot, sweaty day, but you (laughs) you could see the the work in progress. It was really cool to see. I'll let Adam go first because mine's going to be a little different probably. So it has been very exciting for me to try to get a handle on this data. I'm nowhere near the cutting edge in terms of understanding the data, but I do think it's been a real learning experience for me in terms of figuring out how to work with the data, how to use it to guide our office's programs, how to apply, you know, and when it's necessary, sort of critical eye, figuring out where things don't quite make sense. It's been very rewarding. It's rewarding because it corresponds to that experience we had on that farm, right? It's rewarding because it's not just a sort of intellectual exercise. It's an attempt to make the data that we have on my computer line up with the real world and then use that understanding to make real changes to get service to people who didn't have it before. That's been a great experience for me. And I will have uh, plenty of chances to keep working with that over the next uh, year or so. Adam's a genius when it comes to taking apart these maps and then how to depict it and things like that. He really has done a great job. When he's in community with other people working on the same jobs we are, he's the one that asks questions that everybody has to pause for. Uh, So he truly does understand this whole program at a level that other people don't, and it's incredible. And that leads to what is my personal side is to work with people like this. The most encouraging thing is working with people that are motivated. You know, last time we talked, we were still building out a team. Office of Broadband started as an office of one. We now have 12 team members, and we're going to continue to grow as we facilitate these programs. But we have an incredible team, as you can hear in Adam's voice, that are motivated to actually address this goal. It wasn't easy to hire a year ago, but we found, you know, 10 to 12 people that are highly motivated to address these problems And they're great. They're great at what they do. They have great customer service and we work with great people because we all see, hey, we have a great chance to have a huge impact across the state of Missouri and truly change the reality for people. That's the most like daily encouraging thing. But you're absolutely right. The external thing that is the most encouraging is truly to talk to somebody. You get a phone call and they say, hey, we don't have broadband. Our office truly takes those calls every day and we love to take them. 
But to be able to say, hey, your area was awarded and I can tell you that provider will be there within the next six months. And to know that that changes the reality for people is huge. I mean, that is, that is as cool as it gets uh, for people in our position. The challenging but fun thing is there's even more coming. You know, every day we're digging into how to facilitate it. But seeing those deployments in rural places, like you said, we were sitting in Cheriton Valley, watch or in Cheriton Valley's air awarded area, as all providers are doing. It's not it's not specific to them, but we were literally seeing it go down the edge of a gravel road in places that without these funds don't get service, right? I mean, that's the reality of it. And so it's super encouraging, but truly the best part is working with awesome people that care about what we're doing because we stay busy every day with all of these programs. It would be easy to uh, get burned out, but I think we have a great team that are truly motivated to keep working at it because over the next five years, a lot of places in Missouri are going to change because of this. A lot of great work, a lot of I'm sure tiring work, but <laughs> sometimes, uh, <laughs> but it sounds like you guys are, are, are knocking it out of the park before we wrap up. I just want to open the floor to both of you. I'm sure there's a ton of stuff going on that we didn't touch upon, probably impossible to touch upon everything, but is there anything that you think that, uh, we should cover before we wrap up an element of the bead program that I haven't really talked about kind of a jargony word in the universe of broadband Community anchor institutions, places like schools, libraries, places where people go to get online, places where we would expect to need a, a higher level of service. You know, they're, they're serving a, a large population. They may have some special needs in terms of the, uh, the level of service they receive. Under the BEAD program, we can fund improved service to community anchor institutions if they have speeds of less than one gigabit per second symmetrical. The challenge is that the FCC map does not collect information about the speeds available to community anchor institutions. The other challenge is there is no canonical map of community anchor institutions. This is not a category that exists in the mind of ordinary people or in the mind of, of anybody sort of before the broadband universe came into being. So we need to map these community anchor institutions and we need to figure out the speeds that are available to these community anchor institutions. So as part of the state challenge process, and over the next few months, we're going to be trying to collect information about community anchor institutions, where they are, what speeds are available to them. And this is an opportunity for communities around the state to invest in those kind of community assets that are really important for getting people for connected, for creating thriving communities. So we hope we get people's engagement with that process. I'm always happy to chat with people about the implications of this about uh, what they can do to help us figure this out. But that's the sort of corner of the program we haven't had a chance to touch on here, but people will be seeing some activity around it over the next few months. And it's really interesting that you bring that up because this whole time I'm thinking, oh, home, a business. But like you said, people don't really stop to think that the local library where people go to actually to use a communal computer and things of that nature. So that's a really good point that you bring up there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also centers of government, schools, and others. You know, there are programs that have helped get that service there. So we hope that they're all already served, but we need help identifying those that aren't. And that really goes to what I would want to just kind of reiterate is the ability for people to weigh in on what we're doing here. We will have those those draft plans available through the month of November for people to weigh in on, and we really want their input on those. But then in early January through the month of February, we will have a map challenge process. 
in the broadband world, we talk a lot about maps and challenges and all of those things. But this truly is, for all intents and purposes, the last chance to weigh in on the map. When we close that map in February or March and say these are the locations we are tasked to serve, that's it. That's our that's our playing field for the next several years. That's what we will award over the next, you know, twelve to eighteen months, whatever it takes to get that job done. And so we will we will be working diligently. But that means that people need to weigh in on that map. Local governments and providers and individual citizens and nonprofit organizations that know the reality of the broadband world need to weigh in on that map because that's going to be truly, you know, this is your chance. We believe there's somewhere in the neighborhood of, you know, 220,000 locations we can help bring service to, but there will be some adding and subtracting to that map through that process. So it's very important that people weigh in around the first of the year on that. And then shortly after, we'll be able to talk more about the Digital Equity Act and the plans for those funds and, and what we can do to address some of those non-infrastructure barriers. Some of that work we'll be planning for while we're doing this awarding. And just long-term looking forward. So challenge process, January, February, start taking applications in the springtime. We're probably talking first round of awards for this program, just so kind of people have an idea of what to look for. We're probably talking first round of these awards uh, July, August at the earliest, but then soon after continuing to roll awards as much as we can. Um, so very excited. Uh, it sounds like it's a long way away, but when you consider 30-day comment periods and the, and that gets taken up pretty quick, 60-day application windows, uh, we get to July pretty quickly here. Our team's excited about it because it's a huge opportunity, but there'll be a lot of work going on. Weigh in on the draft proposals, weigh in at the challenge process. And then if you're out there in need of service right now, if you're a, a community or an individual, contact our office, contact providers, do some of that planning stuff now so that when we open that application window, you know who's going to be looking to provide in your area. You are signing letters of support for those programs. We want to support projects that the locals support. Think about that right now. If, you, if you're a community leader, an economic developer, or even just a citizen you know, out there that, that needs access, be in contact. Work with your locals to be able to support projects that you want to see happen because that will weigh heavily into what we award when it comes to project areas. So we need to know where you are, and we need to have you engaged out there in this planning effort because it's going to come pretty soon because applications will be springtime. Uh, we're at this point thinking April, May application window, I think is what we were looking at. And so those come pretty quickly, but it takes time to plan for those. Uh, so plan ahead. All right, gentlemen, to close us out here, usually I'll you know, I ask the question of how does your program or your office or division or whatever fall into the department's motto of helping Missourians prosper? I doubt the answer to that uh, way back a year ago is much different. I'll close this out with a, a different question. Yeah. So when broadband is fully deployed across the state, what does the landscape of economic development look like in the state at that point? And maybe that also extends to the work that Office of Broadband Development does. I think it can be a big change, right? You know, I grew up in Southeast Missouri and every small town, I don't know how many years ago, but years ago had, had its factory that that's what, you know, we had a shoe factory or a plastic factory or this or that. And every town had those. And over the last few years, we've, we've lost some of those and largely agricultural areas where it takes fewer and fewer people to support the farm. Um, you've seen populations drop in our rural areas. I think the hope is by bringing 
these services that everybody kind of expects and somewhat takes for granted in areas where they have them, by making them available across the whole state, it makes all opportunities more likely to happen. It isn't the one thing that makes it happen, but it allows those opportunities to happen in places. We've been to economic development conferences, and and everybody knows major projects aren't coming if there's not connectivity, right? A major project isn't coming if they don't have, you know, the best speeds available because they have to have it to run their organization, their operations, right? But beyond that, I hope that every area of the state is able to do the economic development projects they want to, whether it's a small business running from home or it's a small factory or it's a working from home. We know more than ever people are able to create great products and work from home with lots of flexibility, but you can't do that if you don't have the ability to do it from home. I mean, we Zoom with people every day, and some of them maybe don't have the great connectivity, but hopefully we can allow that to happen so that people can choose to live where they want to going forward. And just generally, like I said, we're removing one of the barriers to being able to go back to having economic development in those places that have been kind of losing population over the last few years. And Adam, from your perspective? In a previous life, I was the, uh, the editor of a newspaper in a very small town in rural Missouri. A topic of broadband would come up. Remember a conversation with a business owner? I believe, he, was that? I believe it's a soil testing laboratory. So, you know, great fit for the area, great added value, exactly the sort of business that you'd want located in Missouri. And he was sticking through it. But he said if, if he was starting his business today, as opposed to the 1980s, he would not have started it in this, you know, rural northeast Missouri county. He would have started it in a bigger city, somewhere where he could have the internet connection that he really needs to handle a pretty, you know, sophisticated data intensive operation. So that's challenging for him um, that he has to deal with that discrepancy. But what's really concerning, right, is how many businesses have there been between the 1980s and today that would have been located there, but didn't because they didn't have that, uh, that connectivity available. I think we've seen pretty widespread understanding of this dynamic not introducing a kind of revolutionary idea that this is a pretty important economic development tool, but you really do see it out there, that there are businesses, that there are possibilities for people once these connections are available that aren't going to be there otherwise. Just lastly, this this last question might kind of put you guys on the spot, so I do apologize. What do you foresee the timeline of full state connectivity being? This becomes sort of a complicated question. So some of these federal programs that are part of those 230,000 locations that are unserved or underserved, but have a funded project. Some of those have timelines in terms of the completion of those programs that stretch it up to 2030. Nobody's stopping people from getting a jump on that and getting ahead of schedule there. And there are some projects that are way ahead of schedule among those awarded programs. But uh, I think it's quite likely that some will come in at the deadline, which will mean that there may be some locations getting service relatively late in the day. In terms of our programs, the areas where we have control, we put a big premium on getting projects underway quickly. I think our grants team has done a great job with that. With our ARPA program, like BJ said earlier, there are projects that are already quite close to completion in those programs. So for our office, I think we're talking about a shorter time frame. The BEAD program is supposed to be funded through 2028. So, I mean, that's four years-ish from the award time frame, right? There are things that could slow it down. Uh, They've got to go through federal environmental review and those kinds of things. But otherwise, we will be trying to combat that 
by getting as many people involved in this process as possible. We want to have many projects going on at the same time so that we are able to incentivize projects that can be done relatively quickly, that are close to it, that aren't having to strategize kind of a nationwide strategy. And then when does that Missouri project come? But let's get as many people working on this as possible so that we see projects happening. You know, right now we have kind of 30 ARPA projects at some point along the way and more to come. We want to do that same thing with this so that we shrink that timeline as much as we can. We know people want this service and they wanted it yesterday, let's be honest. Projects don't, I mean, these are infrastructure projects. They don't happen overnight, but we're doing everything we can to shrink that time frame down. But generally speaking, our office knows that we will be involved with these through 2028. All right, gentlemen, I say this at the end of every podcast, and I think it holds true more than to anybody than Office of Broadband Development. It's a very busy time, <laughs> and you guys have uh, laid out quite a lot of information, so I appreciate yeah. You guys taking a little bit of time out of this extremely busy time for you guys to give it to us and our listeners. Uh, we appreciate it very much. For anybody listening, please check us out on the DED website. Uh, you can always stay up to date there. We do do a monthly webinar uh, to keep people as up to date as we can with the latest from our epi- uh, from our office. So uh, tune in there. We have the recordings of those are available, uh, but also reach out to us anytime. We realize that this becomes very personal for people and we want to help address it as much as possible. Every location can be an individual and we need to help serve those too. All right, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Inside Eco Devo. We have great episodes coming your way every two weeks, so be sure to subscribe. Also, we want to hear from you, our listeners. Tell us what economic development topics you want to hear more about. This helps us fulfill our motto of helping Missourians prosper by bringing content to our listeners that they want to hear. Leave a comment on an episode or send an email to ded.communications at ded.mo.gov and stay tuned for more Inside Eco Devo.